for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you've enjoyed this sermon from our Advent series, Let Heaven and Nature Sing. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged into a community group, visit our website at www.cbcsavannah.com. Heavenly Father, what a great time of year as a church to celebrate, to think, to remember, to even long an expectation for your son. So many times we're longing for many other things, and so thank you for giving us this opportunity just to, to stir and steer our lives back towards you. I pray that, that this series, that this time would do that very thing, that you would just prepare our hearts, that you would get us ready, whether you're coming back tomorrow or in a thousand years, that we would be ready, that your church would be excited, that we would be longing with expectation for our Savior. I pray that your spirit just help me today. I need your grace and your, and your power because I have none. I bring nothing to the table but brokenness and sin and emptiness, and so I just need you, Holy Spirit, to move so that Jesus is honored, so that the church is equipped and built up. Uh, so that we become more like you, Lord Jesus. And so I pray it for your name's sake and for your glory. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. All right. Make sure I got everything up here. There are songs that we sing that, if we're honest, we have no clue what they mean. But we sing them anyway because they're good songs. Let me give you a couple examples. All right, this, you know, and this will reveal my past taste in music just and, and some with generational issues. I ain't got no Lady Gaga for you or One Direction or anything like that. I don't even know anything. But, but how about this one? Ain't got no distractions, can't hear no buzzers and bells, don't see no lights of flashing, plays by sense of smell. Who sings that? The Who. Come on. Come on, y'all. The Who. Right? Pinball wizard. Uh, how do you play a pinball game by sense of smell? Makes no sense. Right? It doesn't make sense. It sounds good. We all sing it. Ain't got no distractions. Can't hear no buzzer, right? Okay, maybe you don't know that one. Here about this one. This will reveal some of y'all's age. I am the egg man. You are the egg man. I am the walrus. Coo-coo-coo-coo-choo. What does that mean? Ask Lennon when he gets sober. I don't know. But we know it, right? Here's one I know you all know. Okay, and, and if you know what it means, then you are a better man than I am. I see a little silhouette of a man, scaramouche, scaramouche, can you do the fandango, right? Thunderbolt and lightning, very, very frightening, you know, right? And you're singing it with Garth and Wayne, right? You're yay, yeah, woo, Galileo, 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 Figaro, Mexico, right? You know, what does it mean? Who knows? But you sing it, right? You sing it. Or this one. This was voted the worst rock and roll song by Rolling Stone magazine ever. All right? If you know it, then you're the man. I bet. Where's, where's Gibney? I bet he knows this one. Marconi plays the mamba. Listen to the radio. Don't you remember we built this city? Who sings it? Starship. There we go. You are as big of a nerd as I am. That's all right. 
How do you play the mamba? The mamba's a snake. You're going to play a snake, Marconi? It doesn't make any sense, all right? But we sing it. Good song, right? It comes on the radio. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, can I do the thing? Right? We're coming to a season where we sing songs, lots of them, beautiful songs, songs with rich meaning. And what we as a church want to be able to do is we want to understand what they mean. We want to sing a song that's deep and rich with truth, but understand what it is we are saying and understand what it is we are singing. So we're beginning a new series for four weeks. We've called it Let Heaven and Nature Sing. And each week, we are going to examine one of our songs that we sing at Christmas. Talk about what does it mean? To us, what, what is the biblical truth that is trying to relate to the church? So that when you sing it, it's not, Scaramouche, Scaramouche, can you do a Fendi? So you know. So it has a richer and fuller meaning to us. And today, we're going to look at probably the oldest of the Christmas carols, the, the ones we sing. All right? And just so you know, Frosty didn't make the cut. All right? Just so if you're wondering, that's not coming next week, nor did Rudolph. All right? His red nose has nothing to do with the cross, just so you know. Um, We're going to look at today the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, one of the oldest Advent songs that we have. Let me just give you the, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the background of the song a little bit, because the way this song is written, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, And then we'll talk about what what is it talking about? What does it mean for us? It was written prior to the 8th century. We don't know who wrote it. Some monk in a monastery somewhere. Maybe it was a couple monks. We don't know. But we, we find it as early as the 8th century. 800 years after Christ, 1,200 years ago, okay? And then it disappears for a while, a couple hundred years, until the 18th century, a man named John Mason Neal, good old Anglican wearing a dress, there he is, all right? I guess they wore dresses in the 18th century, I don't know. But a good old man named John Mason Neal discovers it. Now, let me tell you a little bit about old, old Mason Neal. He was a genius. He could write and speak over 20 languages, but he was a little edgy for the Anglicans back then. I guess it was because he was wearing a dress. I don't know. But they didn't know what to do with him. He was too evangelical, and so they, they got rid of him. They shipped him off to the coast of Africa on some, some small islands in just some obscure place. They gave him like 27 pounds a year to live, which is way below the poverty line. And there, this man just kind of lived out his life for the, for the gospel, lived out for Christ. And so he started an orphanage, and he started a, a refuge for prostitutes, and he started a school for women, and he just did it. He was just knocking it out. But while there, he was coming along, came across some light reading, a book called, it was on the top 10 list on Amazon back then, but it's called The Salteriolum Cantionum Catholicorum. It's a big one. Right? It was a big book back then. And, uh, and he came across this Latin text of this hymn. And it was put to the tune that came from these nuns from the 15th century in some monastery in Portugal. All right? And so what he did, he says, man, this is good. He translates it from Latin to English with this tune. And somehow it makes its way back to England. And in 1861, when the brand new hymnal came out, this hymn made it in somehow. And the rest, as they say, is history. We have this gray hymn. So think about the background. Some unnamed monks from the, prior to the 8th century A.D., Put to the tune by some Franciscan nuns in the 15th century, a forgotten pastor off the coast of Africa discovers it, translates it, and we are singing it today. 
right? And millions of others are enjoying it as well. Kind of cool story, right? But here, and here's, here's what it's about. It's a song of longing, right? Every, every verse, seven of them, O come, O come. And it's a, lo- a song about longing and desiring. And, and each, there's seven verses. And each verse, or, or it's called an antiphon, fancy word, which just means just a, a, a something that is chanted or sung, all right, each, each verse is sung, and then there's a response. In fact, it was written, it was supposed to be a response. So someone sings the chorus, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And then at the chorus, the, the, everyone else comes in, rejoice, rejoice. And so it's supposed to be responsive, kind of like, you know, uh, a little those around songs that we used to sing around the campfire, right? You know, you know those, one starts, and over here, then the other group. That's the idea. Two groups singing this song. And each antiphon or verse is a description of who Christ is, of a longing for Jesus to, at, at his first advent, written from an Old Testament print. Old Testament perspective, and what Messiah would look like, and what he would be, and what he would do. And here's the cool thing. This is why it's, it's written like songs today just are not written like this anymore. The thought put in. The, the, the seven antiphons, the seven verses, the first word of the description of Christ in the Latin, it forms an acrostic, the acrostic sarcor. You're like, what does sarcor mean? Just hold your horses. All right, just get, I'll get there. All right, S. Sapiente, for wisdom, or come, come wisdom. Adonai, or Lord, S-A-R. Radix Jesse, the root of Jesse. Clavis Davis, the key of David. Orients, the day spring. Rex Gentium, desire of nations. And then finally, the climax, the last verse is actually the one that you're most familiar with, is Emmanuel. It's actually the last one. It's supposed to be sung last. And there's your acrostic sarcor. You're like, well, what does sarcor mean? Right? It means nothing to me. Here's the thing. If you flip sarcor around from the back, you, you turn it backwards, it's the Latin arrow cross, which if any Latin studs in this room, um, which I am not, I used to use Latin internet translation, but it means I will be there tomorrow. So here's the way it's sung, all right? On the 17th, you sing the first verse. On the 18th, you sing the second verse. On the 19th, the fourth. And you just go all the way to the 24th. On the 24th, you sing the last climactic verse. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And so Sarkor is completed. And as if as God is now responding, and he flips it around and says, Cross, I will be there tomorrow. Okay, that is how the song is written. Talk about like way too smart of people writing songs. All right? It's just way deep. Deeper than I knew until I get into this research. And that's the way a lot of these songs we're going to talk about are written. There's just a lot of thought behind them. Now, maybe you're like, that's kind of stupid. I don't really care. I'm just a nerd. I admit it. That was pretty cool. I mean, I, my nerdness is, is clear to most, okay, um, as I singing Jefferson Starship earlier. So, <laughs> But what is this song talking about? What is it longing for? There are seven statements about who Jesus is and what he would do. Let's kind of look at them because we're trying to prepare our hearts ultimately, for, for Advent, right? And so the first verse is this. We're just going to walk through them, and I'll kind of highlight different things about them. O come thou wisdom from on high, and order, things, and order all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show, and teach us in her ways to go. Jesus is personified as wisdom. Wisdom, which is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And the picture is a hunger and a longing for Jesus to come and in his wisdom to fix this mess. Because we made a mess. Haven't we? We've made it just our wisdom has gotten us where? Mess. Last week, 
Went out to a movie, went to the IMAX to see Interstellar at the recommendation of our very own Matt Moore. No, I'm not going to blame him, all right? But we're going to see this movie, and it's the greatest movie ever. All right, we'll go see the greatest movie ever. And then there's this running debate. I won't tell you how it ends because I don't still understand it, all right? I will just tell you if it's between Hunger Games and Interstellar, I'm going with, the hung- I'm going with Katniss Everdeen. All right? I'm just telling you, Anne Hathaway needs to stick to Les Mis. Just, just my thought. All right? Anyway, so we go out on this great day. It has nothing to do with the illustration, just so you know. I'm just, just spouting. But so we come home to our four children, 14, 12, 9, and 6, who are usually capable at watching the house. Usually. And just after a little questioning there is relational chaos going on in our house when we get home. I mean, it's just a mess. This one's done this, this one's done this, and who this one responded. And, and, and in their wisdom, they have not been wise. So what they needed was the wisdom of God and the power of God to make things straight, which he did. <laughs> there was a need for that. That's, that's the heart of this. We've made a mess Come, come return and fix it. Show us in the way we should go. And, and now living on this side of the first advent, there's still, hey, how many have made a mess? I mean, really? And the cry of this is, Jesus, come lead me. Be the chief shepherd, because I'm a silly sheep. And the beauty of the truth of this verse is that he does. And he wants to. His sheep hear his voice. If we lack wisdom, we can ask of him who gives generously, but believe in asking. So that's the amazing truth. Uh, We sing, come wisdom from on high. Second verse, O come, O come, great Lord of might. Isn't that a great title? To who your tribes on Sinai's height? Who who to your tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times did give the law and cloud and majesty and all? This is a reference to Exodus 19, where God is giving the Ten Commandments, and just one little snippet of it, is on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Moses is up hanging out in the mountain, and, and he comes, and, and he brings the people to the base, and they are shaking in their boots because the mountain is just getting torn apart by God. And he's like, don't let them come up here. And the people are like, not a problem. We're not really going to come. Because of the great and mighty God, and they're terrified. And the second verse is saying, God, come back. That great and mighty God who rent the mountains, come on. We don't think about that God at Christmas that much, do we? We think about little Anglo-Saxon baby Jesus in the clean manger who is sleeping and not crying, which is a completely not what happened. First of all, he wasn't Anglo-Saxon. Second of all, he wasn't, he wasn't quiet because he's a baby and they all cry. Thirdly, how many, how many feeding troughs do you know that are clean and barns? That are, it's, it's a complete different image. But this is a different image too. He's longing and it's, it's a reminder, who are we singing to? You're not singing to Santa. He's got his own song. He's making a list. He's checking it twice, all right? He's got his song. We're not singing to him. We are singing to the great God. But the miracle of the whole deal, and we sang it earlier, is the great and mighty God who tore the mountains apart and made everyone tremble is the same baby that was six, and a half, six pounds, five ounces in the arms of a 14-year-old girl. That's the miracle. And the miracle that, like we just sang, that she could hold 
in her hands God. Think about that. God entrusted himself to be a baby in the arms of a teenage mom who'd never had kids before. That is the miracle. This is the God who created the cosmos, sitting here crying, wrapped in swaddling clothes. But he's still the powerful God. And the reminder for us is, do we have a powerful God who sometimes shows his power in weakness? How many of you feel weak and need to know that in weakness there is great power? How many of you need to be reminded that we have a mighty God who rends the mountains? And that's what this verse sings about. Next verse. Oh, come, O branch of Jesse's stem, unto your own and rescue them. From depths of hell your people save and give them victory over the grave. The hope of the Christian life is hinted at in this verse. That our hope is not that we get to go to heaven and we get our mansion and we get all these things. Okay, that may, that may, there is no mansion, by the way, but there's dwelling places. But we do get to go to heaven. But the hope for the Christian is what? It's resurrection. That's our hope. That, that's why the resurrection is such a big piece of the New Testament, and it's constantly coming back to that. The resurrection. Because this body, although it looks good, just kidding. It's breaking down. My ears, I'm convinced, are growing. I can't hear better, but I can see them getting wider. And my nose, and I'm pulling muscles opening Campbell, and, Campbell soup cans for my kids. And, and there's weird things happening because this body is breaking down. And one day will be completely broken down. But my hope is because Jesus was resurrected, that this body will be resurrected. That is our hope. And it's going to happen because the branch of Jesse's stem gives victory over the grave. And what's this branch of Jesse's stem? It's a reference to Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. It's a picture of a stump. You ever cut a tree off? Poof. And then there's just, just a stump here, but out the side comes a little shoot, right? And you're like, ah, oh, what are you thinking? You're going to build another tree out of that little, yes, I am. That's what's going to happen. Jesse might have been cut off because there's no king for a while. But guess who's Jesse, by the way? Jesse is not the guy from Dukes of Hazard. He is the dad of who? Of David, who was David, the king. And there will be, what does a king have? A kingdom. There will be a kingdom from Jesse, from David. And if you read the rest of Isaiah 11, it talks about what it looks like, where the lion lays with the lamb, where the baby plays next to the cobra's nest, where there's peace, where there's tranquility. That, that kingdom is coming. Who is it? It's Messiah Jesus, the one who has conquered, right? Revelation 5, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll in its seven seals. You have a champion who conquered the greatest of all enemies, death. And because he conquered death, we will conquer death. That's what we're singing about when we say, come, branch of Jesse. Because the biggest enemy has been defeated. Next verse, oh, come thou key of David. There's that theme of David again. Come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high that we may know we, have, we may no more have cause to sigh. This is an allusion to Isaiah 22, but also to Revelation 3, that Jesus has been given the keys Right? He's been given the key of David who opens and no one will shut. What does a key do? Not a trick question. Opens something, right? Gives access. I say, here's the keys of my minivan. You want it? 
take it down Broughton Street, and you just ride. Turn up the bass, roll down the window, the one that works. You ride. You got access. You have authority over the minivan, right? That's what the key does. It says that he, he's, he is the key. Not only does he have the keys to the kingdom, that Jesus is the key. Open way, make safe our heavenly home. And I love this line, that we no more have cause to sigh. There's a lot of sighing going on, right? Everyone sigh. Give a big sigh. Come on. That's weak. Come on. If you have kids... You sigh. If you have a spouse, you sigh. You got a boss, you sigh. You got students, you sigh. You got bills, you have employees, you have neighbors. <sighs> this is a place of sighing. But there's a place when there's no more sighing. And the one who has the keys is the key. And we long for him to come. Anyone else, are you just, anyone else besides me, are you ready to be done sighing? I mean, really? Come on. I'm ready. That's what this verse longs. Come on. He is the key. Next verse. Come thou day spring. Come and cheer. Dayspring's a fancy way to say dawn or sunrise, even star of the morning. You'll see that in the scripture. Come dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by your advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow. The idea is for the light to come. In Luke 1, it talks about the Messiah when he comes. The sunrise, he comes on the sunrise, that the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. Isaiah says the people that are walking in darkness will see a great Light. There's something about the sunrise. My dad, we were growing up, we'd go hunting, Pennsylvania, winter, cold, right? So, and I like hunting, it was fun, but and when it was 12 degrees out, and we would get out, and my, I guess my dad was a Marine, we had to be in the tree two hours before the sun got up, right? Because he's a Marine, no other reason, just because he's a Marine, and that's what you do. So we get up, and I would sit in the tree and freeze, and I would just randomly be thinking, why am I here? We're not starving. There's no survival here. We're, we, go, we go to the Acme. We can get food. Why am I in this tree freezing? And, and I would just pray for the sun. Please, sun. I want to see something. I want to not want to freeze in this tree. Please, sun, come up. And finally, finally the day would break. And the sun would come up, which meant we were going home soon. <laughs> That's what that meant. And I can get warm and eat food out of a pantry. <laughs> That's the cry of this verse. Come, day spring, come and cheer. Disperse the, the, the clouds. And, and Jesus at his first advent showed the light. But we still, this is still, dark. there's still darkness. This is still a place of darkness. How do I know? Cancer. How do I know? Arthritis, divorce, depression, anxiety, wrinkles, unemployment. That's all I know. I have a buddy this week, 
pastor friend, I'm preaching for him next Sunday because his mom died suddenly this week, right? And so I'm preaching for him so that he can have a week. That's called darkness. But the great thing about the night is this. It only lasts so long. And the sun will rise. And so, and when it does, this is what the book of Revelation says. This is how the Bible closes out. When the sunrise shall visit us from, oh, that's, a, that's the Luke one. Oh, here it is. When the sun does come, the S-O-N, night will be no more. And there will be no need of light. There will be no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. That's what this verse is crying for. Star of the morning, day spring, sunrise. Come, come. Verse six, a desire of nations come. This is the one verse that's not, not a great translation. Here's why. This, this verse, and you, many of our Christmas carols use this phrase, desire of nations, and you'll hear it, and you probably recognize it. It's actually based on a bad translation from the Latin Vulgate. Okay, but we can still sing it. It's fine. You're not going to, you know, Santa's not going to not come to your house or something because of it, all right? Uh, but it's based on Haggai 2.7 where it says the desire of nations will be brought rather than, the King James still keeps the old desire of nations and capitalizes it, but most modern translations say I will shake the nations, this is talking about the kingdom, so that the treasures of nations shall come in. The idea is not that the desire of nations is there, is that people in the kingdom will bring their treasures because they want to just give it at the feet of Christ. That, that's the idea. So they're going to bring the desire of nations to the king of the nations. And so most Modern translations of this hymn will actually say king of nations because it's better. And the result is still good, okay? All peoples in one heart and mind bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. The king of nations will bring peace. Anyone need any peace? Does, does America need peace right now? Does Ferguson need peace? Does New York City need peace? Does Savannah, Georgia, 15-year-old shot two nights ago need peace? Any... You and your teenagers need peace, your spouse. There will be no ultimate peace. There can be some peace, but there will be no ultimate peace. I don't care what politician, governor, president, policeman, even pastor promises you. Ultimately, there will be no peace until the prince of peace, the king of nations, is coming back. It's just not going to happen. Because that's when he's going to dispel darkness. That's when he's going to rid the world of sin, which brings the discord. Right? And so there's a longing for, for the, the king of the nations to bring peace, to crying for it. And then the final conclusion verse, O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's the climax of the song. And ransom Captain Israel. The picture is slaves and Israel from 700 B.C., Assyria comes, and the northern kingdom is slaves. And in 500 BC, Babylon comes to, to the south and takes them away, and they become slaves. And then there's the media Persians. Then there's the Greeks. Then there's the Romans. And they are slaves constantly, and it's a cry. Emmanuel, allusion to Isaiah 7, where God will be with us. The virgin shall conceive, bear a son. His name shall be called Emmanuel. God, come deliver us. Ransom captive Israel. And what happens when there's a ransom? Someone pays a fee. The rich guy pays off, so this person is set free. It's exactly what God did. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom 
for many. Peter says that you were ransomed from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. That, that God doesn't just pay it with his riches, he pays it with himself. He gives himself as a ransom, and that's the idea rescue captive Israel. And for us living on this side of the first advent, we are still captive in our, sla- in our sin, in our slavery, and God gives himself as a ransom for us. And so the response is what? Here's the, here's the chorus. Here's the refrain. Here's what you respond every verse when you're longing for all these pictures of Messiah. It's rejoice. Rejoice. Why? Because God shall come to you, O Israel. Like he came the first time, God will do what he said and he will come again. So you rejoice two times. It's big. And you can hear it in the, in the, in the song when we're singing it. It's very minory and kind of depressing. You know, it's kind of. But then when you get to the chorus, it's bright, isn't it? It's like, rejoice, because he will come. And that's the way this song is written. He will come. He is faithful. God is with us. And here's, here's two things I just want to take into worship as we think about this, about this concept of God with us, Emmanuel. Number one is this, that the, the fact that God is with us, that Jesus himself is with us, is not just some pie in the sky. Ooh, yeah, Jesus is kind of watching from heaven. He's kind of, you know, just, oh, isn't it great? That's good. That's good, though. Yeah, well, I'm glad I'm not in that situation. No, he is with us. Right now, if you are in Christ, he is with you. When you're a teenager, when you're in your room crying alone, thinking, oh, no one cares, that Jesus is with you. If you just lost someone precious to you, a spouse, a parent, and feel like you're abandoned, that Jesus is with you. He is with you in, in everything. He promises he would be with you forever. And when we gather as a church, he is here. The one who loves you, the one who ransomed you, the one who chose you, the one who died for you, the one who gave everything is with you and he's with us when we gather in a special way. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth is here in his church. What, what if LeBron comes through the door right now? LeBron, woo! Or if you're not into basketball, Brad Pitt, all right? Or maybe your business guy, Bill Gates, whatever. Some famous dude comes to church. What are you going to do? You're going to look at him, and especially in this room, you'd see him. You can get a little, can I get a selfie with you? Famous person comes in. Someone infinitely greater than LeBron is here. Emmanuel. Jesus Christ who is the wisdom of God and the, the great and mighty Lord and the branch of David and of Jesse and the key of David and the day spring and the desire of nations or the king of nations, Emmanuel, he's here. That's an amazing truth to think about when you're worshiping, when you're singing. Here's the second truth when you think about God with us. That you will one day, think about this now, that you will one day stand before and see with your eyes Jesus of Nazareth. You will see the one. You will look at him and you will see holes and scars in his hands. You'll see him. You'll see his feet that were pierced for you. You will look into his eyes, which may be a flame of fire if you look at Revelation. Clothed in white in his glory. You will see the glory of God face to face. 
and you won't need faith anymore. Remember Paul in 1 Corinthians, he says, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. You know why? Because faith will no longer be, you won't have faith anymore in the kingdom. You, you know that? Why? Because faith is a conviction of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. You won't need to have faith in Jesus anymore because he's going to be standing right in front of you. And you don't need to have hope anymore because your hope is right there on the throne. But you will always have love. That's why love is the greatest because it's the one that lasts. But think about it. You will no longer have faith because your faith will be your eyes and you will see the one who, you, who loved you and died for you forever and ever. That something, church. And that's why we rejoice. And that's why we sing. That's what Advent's about. We are longing for that day. Because this is, we're going to keep sighing and being cold in the tree until that day. But it's coming. And we think about that. And as a church, we gather. And we got junk in the week and brokenness in the week. But that points us to that. And that is why we have hope. And that is why we respond with what? Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee. Israel. He will come back for his church. And that's what we sing about. So let's sing it. And we're going to sing it the old way, the eighth century way, all seven verses. All right? So stand with me. Let's pray and let's worship. Father, as we sing, as we worship, let us know what we're singing about, Lord. Let us these songs mean more to us because we understand the truth behind them. And may they have a depth and richness in our lives. And may Christ be glorified as we sing them. We, as your church, long for his return. Please, please come soon, Lord Jesus. Um, for our day spring, as our, the key of David, as, as, as Emmanuel, as the power of God, as the wisdom of God, please return. We are anxiously awaiting. In Christ's name.